0: If you've ever kind of hung out with a bunch of guys, it doesn't take long before there's a comparison of scars, right? Like some guy starts talking about his scars, and then the next guy has got to trump him, right? He's got a bigger scar. He's got a better story. And so this kind of one upment starts happening with the stories, and I, I love it. Um, and so I'm going to take advantage of this this morning because no one else is here to share their story. You know, if you live with God long, if you live this dedicated life of serving and following Him, you're going to have some scars. And the thing is, we tend to think of these scars in negative terms. We tend to think of these scars as the pain that we see. But yet, throughout the Scripture, we're told by the apostles, we're told by, these, by the writers that these scars are for our joy. And you, you might be thinking, well, what do you mean by that? Let me tell you this story. I won't tell you the full story, because it's going to lead to something else. I've had friends in my life I've had to stop hanging out with. You know why? Because we always come home with stories. And I was starting to get afraid that one of the stories might get out of hand. And I remember one of my buddies that um, I had a journey, a part of my life with. His name was Kenny, a great friend of mine who lives out in Oregon. And I remember the first time I really got to meet him, or he got to meet me, I should say. really know who I was. I had climbed up in this tree over this lake, and this tree breaks. <laughs> and so I ride this tree all the way down into the water. <laughs> it was quite a show. Uh, in fact, there was a guy down the way on the dock who was on the phone with his friend who just bust out dying laughing. He's like, dude, you'll never believe what I just saw this guy was in this tree. He's just telling the whole story. And so that leaves a mark. But it's probably not the mark you're thinking. You know, it leaves a mark because my friend watched that and he saw that I was willing to do some crazy things. And he's like, I think I might hang out with that dude. And we did some crazy things together. I remember one day we're out fishing and this storm starts to come on this lake and we're in this little canoe. And I'm like, hey, man, we probably should go to shore. He's like, nah, we'll be fine, man. I'm like, no, I think this storm's coming up. It's, it's going to be fun. He's like, nah, we'll be good. And so I'm like, all right. So We're fishing. All of a sudden, rain starts to come down, and he's like, oh, yeah, maybe we should go. And then we start getting fish. I don't know if you've ever fished in a rainstorm, but sometimes that's the best time to be fishing. And so we all started catching fish, like left and right. And so we're like, forget it. We're staying. And it didn't take long before the waves start coming over the side of the canoe, and the canoe starts filling up. (laughs) And we start to think, well, maybe we should start heading for shore. (laughs) So we spend the whole time getting to shore, going, trying to unload our canoe as we're going. The waves are coming over. We eventually did get to the store. Our canoe was full, but it was a great story. We lost some stuff in the in the lake because it floats out. And so this is, again, another guy that I would leave a mark with again. And we would go. I remember we floated down this river in the canoe again. This was a river you shouldn't have went down a canoe in. It was funny. When we pulled up to the launch with our canoe, <laughs> people looked at us like we were crazy. <laughs> Uh, I can't tell these stories but laugh because they're just so funny to me. And so here we are with our little canoe, and we tied our stuff in trash bags, right? We didn't have the money to afford real stuff. <laughs> and so we load up, and, we, you know, we're just, man, we're just happy going down the river, and we come to our first sets of rapids, and we sink the canoe. <laughs> and so we managed to get it to the shore and unload it, unpack it, it out we had tied everything in because we figured that would probably happen and there wasn't a a, a, a rapids we went through that we did not sink that canoe in it was quite a journey and um so finally we just got to the point where we're like well if we can go through in a sunk canoe then we can go in without a canoe <laughs> so we decided to go up the river and, and ride down the rapids um several times through these washes just with our life vest on um but man, this begins to leave a mark in your life, and it begins to leave a mark on someone else's life. You know, these marks are what knit us together. These marks are what pull us tighter together. When we walk through these moments, we can look back together and go, hey, man, remember that time? Man, we, why did we do that? <laughs> you know, I'm reminded of a story when I was in college. Um, we would go out to the Hiawassee River and jump off this cliff and cliff dive into the river. It was about a 50-foot jump, and we would jump off and land in the river. And um, I was always the goofball who went ahead first. And I remember we were sitting in the dorms, and it was March. And I'm like, man, wouldn't it be so much fun to go cliff diving, like right now? And um, I don't know if my friend knew me, or it was just being goofy. But he goes, you wouldn't jump if we went there. I was like, no, that's the whole point. I would jump if we went there. (laughs) He's like, no, you wouldn't. i tell you what i'll jump three times if you jump once and so we load up and we go out on out to the river and i I remember i i just went over looked over the edge to make sure there wasn't a a tree log down there and i remember running and jumping off this ledge and i remember how cold that water was i remember hitting that water losing my breath and i remember hitting ice (laughs) like this is crazy what are we doing but there's those moments in life where you do some crazy things, and in the midst of that, you feel alive. You feel lively. You feel excited. You feel this rush that flows through your body. And I remember I was like, well, if I said I'd do it three times, i got to do it three times. And so I remember doing, I jumped three times in the freezing water. It was so cold. And we get back in our car. I get back in my car, and we start taking off. I'm like, we got to get the car going. i got to you know, get the heater going. And I remember I went into hypothermia. And I'm sitting there trying to drive my car. My body is just shaking and convulsing. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to, you know, I'm like, we're going to die. I'm, one, I'm going to die from hypothermia. Two, we're going to die because I'm going to wreck the car. <laughs> and so my buddy has to kind of like try to take over the control of the car. And I'm trying to find something to wrap myself in better to warm up. And the funny thing is my life, I find it with a series of moments where I almost die. Somehow my life is shaped this. Like, I have so many near-death experiences, it, it doesn't make sense. But you see, these things leave a mark, and they leave a mark on the people I was with. You see, God doesn't lead us into temptation. He redeems us from our sin and the sins of others. You see, he will lead us into testing. He will lead us into moments of testing, but this isn't for temptation. He leads us into moments of testing, proving not that we are sons of God, but that he is a good father. His fatherness proves our sonship. You may be saying, what what are you talking about? If you remember the story of Adam, Adam is here and he's in the garden and he's faced with temptation. Satan comes into tempting and he's being tested. Do you really believe that you are a son of God? Do you really believe that God has marked you? Do you really believe that God's hand is on your life? And we see a parallel with that in Christ when he enters in the the wilderness. And so I want to jump into that this morning, Matthew 4. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. And I want to pray and ask God that he would come in here and just fill me with his presence and, and give me his strength. So Lord Jesus, I do. God, I thank you for the prayers of the saints right now that are being extended toward me. God, I thank you for your word, God, that I get the privilege of preaching and sharing. God, I thank you that you would take my life and you would shape these things into me so they could come out of me. God, that you would write my story. God, that you would write the days of my life, that you would write the chaos. God, that you would write the adventure, that you would write the insanity But God, you do that. God, and you've marked my life. God, you've marked it with my friends. God, you've marked it through pain. You've marked it in the valley. But God, I can stand here today in great joy and say I look at those moments with a joy and with tearful laugh because you are a proven Father who loves me. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. In Matthew 4, 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, Into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to come, become loaves of bread. But he answered to them, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father's mouth. And so I want to break these down and look at the three different temptations that Jesus walks into. I want to compare them with other stories in the Bible. But more importantly, I want us to be able to take a look introspectively at these things. Because when the, Satan came into the garden and he begins to tempt Eve, he says, did God really say? And maybe you're sitting at home this morning or in your office or wherever you are and you're listening to this and you've heard the enemy echo in your ear over and over. Did God really say? I mean, come on. Did God really say? Look at your life. I mean, look at the circumstances. Did God really say that? And so he comes up to Eve and says, did God really say that you could eat up all the fruit? Well, why not that tree? Oh, it's because God is withholding from you. The enemy begins to plant this idea, this seed, this lie into the mind and heart of Eve and into the mind and the heart of Adam that God is withholding from you. If you've lived long, you've felt this. You've felt the words of the enemy speak to you that God is withholding. That in your heart you feel like there's a promise for something, but God is withholding. You see, the enemy would love to tell you that. But in the end of that, God would like to show you something. You see, Jesus here is being tested. He's being tested in three ways. One is being tested in his identity. Satan comes, "Are, are you really the son of God? I mean, he calls him here, he says, if you are the son of God. I mean, are you really the son of God? I mean, we've had several people who've come and said they're the Messiah. You know, I mean, and they've all failed and fought. What about you? Oh, you're really the son of God, are you? Then why are you starving? I mean, if you're the son of God, why are you starving? I mean, you can just speak to these stones and make them bread. I mean, if you're the son of God. And you can almost kind of see this dialogue, Satan's kind of being sarcastically rude and Jesus having to endure this. Are you really his son? I mean, because, does God treat his sons this way? Well, I mean, if, if you were my son, I wouldn't treat you that way. I mean, maybe you've heard these things. Maybe you've had these thoughts stirred in your mind. Maybe others have said this to you. Jesus was being tested in his identity. Are you really? Because he had heard the word of the Lord. Here's Jesus right before this chapter before he was baptized. And as he comes up out of the water, what happens? Oh, he hears the voice of God say, you are my son in whom, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he's moved to the wilderness and he's fasting, he's hungry. And Satan goes, are you really his son? I mean, come on, I know he said that, but does this how he treats his son? I mean, did God really say this? And it's cool, I love Jesus' response here because we we kind of read Jesus' response just in the text of what's happening. But Jesus makes a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And in making a reference to Genesis chapter 8, he brings up the story of the children of Israel leaving Egypt, going to the promised land. And his response is, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the Father's mouth. Now, Jesus quotes Scripture here. And he creates this reference to the Israel, the true sons of God, in, in ethnic form. And as Israel walks through the wilderness where they failed, Jesus is victorious. Catch this. Where the children of Israel failed, Jesus is victorious. Deuteronomy 8, 3, 8 chapter, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 through 3 says this and you shall remember. This is Moses when he is giving them the charge into the land. He says, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Remember it, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. Catch this. Here's Jesus in the wilderness. He's being tested. And Satan comes and says, oh, well, why would God do this if you're his real son? Oh, oh! Let me, let me, let me show you. Oh, let me, let me, let me teach you. Let me show you what Moses said, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger, but catch this, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know. That man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. You see, in their hunger, in their quest for identity, in their quest for purpose, in their quest for fulfillment. I hope you can see this in your life right now. As Israel is on this journey to the promises of God. They're on this journey to find out who they are, their identity, their purpose, the provision of God. As they're on this journey, they failed to trust God, but rather they worked out their own establishment of what God's word meant. So many times don't we do that? We hear the voice of God. We hear the word of God that says, go. It calls us on this mission. It calls us to live on mission. And we step out, and the first thing we usually always do is we try to figure it out on our own. And then we le- we're led into this testing where God makes us hungry. And we become hungry so that He can satisfy. Why does He do that? So we can see him as our sustaining source. Are you seeing Jesus as your sustaining source? Is he your sustaining source? You see, they didn't do that. They despised it. They grumbled against it. They rose up in a rebellion. Yet Jesus is here in the contrast. He is in his obedience and he is trusting in his father's plan. Satan says, man, if if you're really the son of God, why don't you just, you know, take care of yourself? I mean, you have the authority, right? You have the power to speak to these stones, and they can be good. I mean, if you are the son of God, you can do that. And Jesus' response is, no, I'm not here. My identity doesn't rest in what I do. My identity rests in who he is. And God will strip me of my identity so that I can see his identity. You see, the story in the garden is not that Adam fell. The story in the garden is that, a, that God was faithful, that God restores, that God took upon himself the punishment that was due Adam. The story of Abram is not about Abram, but it's the faithfulness of God, that through his brokenness, that through his weakness, that through his inability, God would come through and provide the promise. The story in David is not of David. But that no matter what obstacle comes against you, it cannot stop the purpose of God in your life. See, these stories matter. Why? Because they're a story of God's faithfulness. Your story matters. You know why? Because it's a story of God's faithfulness. The testing isn't to prove your identity as a son. It isn't so that you can say, Man, I'm a son. The, the purpose is to prove the goodness of the Father. If you'll remember the story of Lazarus, here Lazarus is, the word comes to Jesus, Hey, Lazarus is sick. Can you come heal him? Yeah, I'm coming. And Jesus says, I'm coming. And yet Lazarus dies. And his sisters come. His sister comes and says, You know, if, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. But she says, I believe you're the resurrection of life. I mean, I believe you can do what you want to do. It was almost like, hint, hint, wink, wink. Hey, you, you could do this if you want to. And Jesus, I do want to do this. Not so that Lazarus could be restored. This isn't about restoring Lazarus. Catch it. This isn't about restoring Lazarus. This is about revealing that Jesus is Lord over death. The point of the story isn't Lazarus. The point of the story is Jesus. And God would look down on us today. He would look down on you, my friend, and he would say, I've called you. Follow me. Come on, follow me. I've called you. I've called you. Follow me. The second testing we'll see we walk into is we're tested in our story. Is this really the purpose of God for your life? Right after that in verse five, it says, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and their hands that on their, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And here is Satan. If you're the son of God, well, throw yourself down and take up your own destiny. I mean, if you have a destiny in your life, then go get it. Is God really true to his promise? Satan would say. And he would ask Jesus to exchange his faith for sight. You see, God calls us to step out in faith and follow him in faith. That it was because of Abraham's faith it was accredited to him as righteousness. It wasn't what Abraham saw, it was what Abraham believed. And it's not what you see, sir, ma'am, young person. It is not what you see that you rest your hope in. It is faith. Pastor John preached on this a little while back. It's faith. Go back and listen, it was a great sermon on faith. Satan was not asking Jesus to disobey Scripture, but to fulfill it. Do you see that? Oh, well, God said if, if, if you, the angels would catch you, right? Isn't that what the Word says? That, that God will protect you and keep you so much that if he needs angels to rescue you, he will. You see, he's not asking him to disobey Scripture, but to fulfill it. And the world would say to you, if you want something in life, then go take it. You know, if you just work hard, you can get it. Go chase your dreams, right? I mean, we hear these things in in life. You know, if you want something, just whatever your heart wants, go get it. You know, if you can work hard enough, you can achieve anything. And we hear the lie of the enemy all the time saying this. Our kids go to school hearing this all the time. But life isn't what you can take. Life isn't what you can make. Life isn't what you can gather to yourself. Life isn't what you can hoard. You see, Jesus is the contrast of this. Instead of Jesus, instead of his chase your dreams, Jesus says, yet I am. I am. Well, God, I'm hungry. I am. Well, God, I'm lost. I am. Well, God, I just don't know what to do. I am. God, how do I get saved? I am. God, well, how do I find pleasure in God? I I am. To anything in life that you would find a question, Jesus would say, I am. And he would say, rest in me, rest in me, rest in me. You see, the thing is, the world wants you to work and strive. The world wants you to earn it. Jesus says, oh, I've already earned it. I've already earned it. Everything you need, everything you want, everything you seek, everything you desire, I've earned it. It's like the, prodigal, the brother of the prodigal son who stayed at home and he was grumpy because he does not get it. The father said, "What? anything you want, it's here. Satan will tell you to go take it, go get your destiny, go find your destiny and take hold of it. I've heard some preachers say that, but I've never heard Jesus say that. Yet Christ says, I am. Rest in my purpose. You see, Satan doesn't contradict Scripture here like he did in the garden. But he tells Jesus that if he is who he said he is, then he should show the world. I mean, if you're, if you're really called to do this ministry, then show the world how good you are at it. I mean... Or you would hear preachers say, Well, if you only had enough faith. You know, you don't have that because you don't have enough faith. No, that's not how that works. You see, it's not faith to demand God show up and complete his word. That is not what faith is. Faith isn't a demand we put on God. See, this isn't to receive testing, but to put God at the test. You see, God calls us to receive the test, not to put them to the test. You know, Sarah did the same thing when she gave her handmaiden to Abram. said, well, I know God said he was going to bring a promise, and he hasn't done it yet, so maybe it's not going to be through me. Yet, the word of the God was, the word of the Father was, it was going to come through Abram and Sarah. And yet, she gives Hagar to Abram to bear him a child through her. It's not faith to demand that God fulfill his promise. It's not faith to demand that God would do what he said he would do. It's faith to wait upon the Lord. It's faith to receive strength in the waiting. It's faith to have eyes that see beyond the natural into the spiritual. You see, the promise of God often doesn't just feel delayed, it seems impossible. Let's say that again. The promise of God doesn't often feel delayed, it seems impossible. And maybe you're sitting right now in this area of your life and it feels impossible. Maybe you're looking at a dead corpse of dead Lazarus going, well, if God would have been here, it would have happened. If God would have been here, he could have done this. You see, when we look at our broken life, when we look at our brokenness, our disjointedness, when we look at all this, we often go, well, how could God? You know, I tell you that in this There's a testing of our story, of us finding our purpose. And so many times in life, I feel like... My whole life feels like a series of growth followed by extreme failure. That in the world's eyes it would look like it didn't work there's been a lot of unrecognized moments where I thought man maybe at least a little bit of recognition would have been nice you see my first youth pastor and I became a youth pastor fresh out of college just on fire for Jesus and our youth group began to grow And then I lost it all because some people in the church literally didn't want that many kids there. I don't know how that works, but. And then I find myself in one place after another where it looks like success. It looks like things are growing. It looks like life is happening. It looks like things are working out only to be ended abruptly. We followed God's call out to Oregon and we saw a non-profit take off where the community got involved in meeting social needs and it felt like we were meeting one need after another and people were on board with this and it started making waves. Officials, church officials, state officials started coming to check out what we were doing and like, how do we reproduce this in other places? And then... Seems to become unrecognized in what God is doing. And so I find myself in a season outside of ministry working a job. And all of a sudden, while I'm there, our job production triples. Our sales triple. And it looks like things are going good, and we're making $12 million deals happen. And man, it's looking good. And then all of a sudden, boss walks in, he says, I've sold the company. what do you do when your story doesn't look right? What do you do when your story doesn't add up the way it should in your head? You see, I go through all this to prove that my calling and my work and my position isn't granted by men, but it's established on the Word of God. Everywhere I've been, everywhere I've been sad, it hasn't been because man has established or said it, it's because God has done it. And no matter what the journey looks like, no matter the valleys that you walk through, the story of the gospel is that He is here, that God is with you, that you are not alone. Can you see that in the valley, that yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will not fear evil. You know why? Because he's with me. Because I'm not alone. Oh, if you'll just cast yourself off this temple, God will have to prove that he's for you. Oh, no, Jesus didn't need that to prove that God was with him. Jesus already knew that God was with him. I don't know if you're looking in your life for proof that God is with you, but i tell you, if you'll just look very shallowly, you'll find it, but you have to look in the right place. It's not in how the world measures success. It's in a still, quiet voice. The third way that we receive testing is that do we trust God's provision? Do we trust God's plan? And here Satan brings it to his final temptation. It says, again, the devil took him, in verse 8, again, the devil took him to a high and very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, Angels came and were ministering to him. Satan looks at Jesus and says, If you'll bow down all of these, I'll give these to you. And I I find that humorous because as if Satan had the power to give that away. (laughs) I mean, as if those were Satan's to give. You know, and this isn't a prescription for us because Satan is not going to tempt us with all the kingdoms of the world. In fact, what he tempts us with is a lot less than that but this isn't a test of whether Jesus will bow down or not this is a test of are you god's equal or are you god's servant are you god's equal or are you god's servant you see satan likes to create this false notion this false narrative, and he wants to plant this idea in your mind that he's the advocate for you. That he's the one who's going to deliver you from this mean, oppressive God. I mean, how many times have you heard these things? I just got to turn on the TV and I hear these things. That somehow Satan is going to deliver you. Or maybe it's some guy on TV talking about how he's going to be these things or how he cares about you and he's going to be your advocate. You see, Adam desired a greater authority than God had given him, and he lost everything. Jesus desired to serve and obey his Father, and he gained everything. You see, have you come to get power? Have you come to get authority? Have you come to get a place of recognition? Do you desire to be God's equal or God's servant? I remember we went out in Oregon. It was like midnight, I think it was. We got a phone call. Um, it was one of those cold nights, and there were like 20, 30 homeless kids piled up in a hotel room. And I get a call, and it's like, man, we're hungry. None of us have eaten all day long. And so I'm like, I don't know, what am I, you know, it's kind of annoying, right? It's like, I'm in bed already, now i got to get up out of bed, get clothes on. I mean, where do you get a pizza at midnight? I I don't know, I'm never up at midnight, so I I don't know these things, right? (laughs) And so um, Little Caesars happened to be open, so I remember loading up, me and my wife get up, get dressed, go out, and we go pick up these pizzas, and I remember driving back and the cops pulled me over, I'm thinking why am I getting pulled over? And I remember the cop comes to the door, and he's like, um, he's like so, so what are you guys doing? I'm like, well, um, we're taking pizzas to about 20, 30 homeless teenagers. And <laughs> I remember his next words. He's like, are you drunk? <laughs> like, who does that at midnight? You know, the thing is, it's, is, Do we desire status? Do we desire that level of importance? Do we desire to be put up on this pedestal that someone can look at us and go, oh man, what a godly saint you are. Or maybe we're just willing to get out of bed at midnight to go take a pizza to someone who's hungry. Are you a steward? Are you a servant of God? Are you fighting to be his equal? You see, he is faithful to keep you. Catch this, please. He is faithful to keep you, to bring you to completion. You see, this isn't your work. It's his. You're like, well, then, what is my work then, Wade? Like, what am I supposed to do? I feel like I need to do something. Well, it's simple. He says, love. In fact, love your neighbor. Love your enemy. You want to know what you're supposed to do? Go love well, God, I can't love. Good, I know. That's why I want to put love in your heart. He says, I want you to forgive. God, I can't forgive. Do you know what those people did to me? I know. Do you know what I forgave you of? He wants you to share your story. What do you mean, share my story? You know, this will probably work its way into a sermon one time, like a full sermon, but I'm going to give you the snippet of this. You know, when... Jesus calls the disciple. he calls Peter and James and John and Andrew, these guys are fishermen, and he calls them, and, you know, we like to think that the mission of God, the purpose of God in our life starts when he calls us, but yet it doesn't, because when he calls them, he says, once you follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, and I'm sure there was a lot of perplexity, and what does that mean to be a fisher of men, And they lose sight of that, and they find themselves out on the boat again fishing. And they fished all night long, and they haven't caught anything. And Jesus looks at him. He says, well, try one more time. Just throw your net. Cast your net. And so they do. They cast their net, and the net is so full of fish they can't bring it in. They have to have other help. And if you remember the story, Peter jumps out of the boat then, and he runs to the shore to see Jesus. He gets it. He gets, God, you have been preparing my whole life to this point, to this purpose. And Peter gets it and he stands up at the day of Pentecost and he casts the net. You see, God's called us to cast our nets, to tell our story. And he calls us to be generous. But yet, we keep trying to work out our own destiny, our own path. We keep trying to work out our own salvation, our own way. And he says, it's not your work, it's him. You see, God will lead us into testing. But it's not to prove that we're the sons of God. It's to prove that he is our father. I hope you can catch this. Man, so many times we want to prove that we're our father that we're a son of God. We want to prove that we're godly, or prove that we're righteous, or prove that we're good. We want to prove these things. We want to win the favor. It's like a child who wants to earn his father's love. But yet that's not the story. The story is not of our sonship. The story is of his fatherhood. And he's the good father. And he's the one who adopts us into his home so that he can love us like his sons his fatherhood is proof of our sonship you see living on mission is a calling it's a calling that will encounter trials Brooke if you'll come on up James chapter 1 verse 2 says this he says count it all joy my brothers count it all joy How are we supposed to count these things as all joy? Count these things as all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him but let him ask in faith. Maybe you find yourself this morning feeling like there's a lack in your life, like something's lacking, like there's an empty hole, like there's something missing. Maybe you find yourself listening to the voice of the enemy saying, oh, if God really loved you, he wouldn't bring you through this. Maybe you hear the voice of the enemy saying, did God really say that? I mean, did God really make that promise? Maybe you hear the voice of the enemy speaking to you today that says, oh, if God loves you, he wouldn't be withholding this from you, would he? I mean, why is God withholding from you? And maybe you find yourself this morning and as we read the book of James, it says, if anyone lacks, let him ask, but ask in faith. So as I end this today, I would say, let us ask, let us pray, let us ask, not that God would give us what we are lacking, but that he would reveal to us how good a father he is. You see, so many times we pray, we pray for our lacking and not pray for the revelation of God as our Father. They came to Jesus and said, Jesus teaches how to pray. He said, Our Father, who art in heaven,